And like I said, we go there at least a couple times, two, three times a month maybe. You know, we go there fairly often, even just to look around. Their sales, wow, their sales are amazing. You know, they used to have that 40% off single item coupon, but they unfortunately did away with it, which we all got a corporately right corporate office about that. But uh, they took it away because their stuff is regularly on sale in a rotational basis. The thing also about Hobby Lobby is, you know, at least ours here in Prattville, for those of you that have been to Hobby Lobby, you know, you go into the main doors, you'll see the registers there. But if you go to that first aisle and you make a left, you walk down that aisle, then you'll see on the left-hand side, that's like the holiday section, right? That's where all the different holidays are coming up. You could tell if you go there right now, you'll see Valentine's Day is on the shelves. You'll see St. Patrick's Days are on the shelves. So you'll see a mixture of red and green. You see, the thing about Hobby Lobby, in at least that section, you can tell certain seasons and holidays are coming because the signs are all around on the shelves there. And that's a little bit of about what I want to talk about this morning in a message that I've entitled as the day approaches. I do want to preface this. I am not a conspiracy theorist. This is not going to be a conspiracy message. I don't want to take this pulpit and try to spout off any conspiracies. Anybody that really knows me, especially in the Magnificent Seven group, knows that I don't join conspiracy bandwagons. I want to look into information for myself from the horse's mouth. Unless it's Bigfoot. You know, I, I, I'm a Bigfoot believer. I, I got to say it. Bigfoot, Yeti, Abominable, Snowman. I used to never be able to say Abominable. I used to say Abdominal Snowman. Maybe he has some big abs. I don't know. But Bigfoot, you know, me and my daughter, we're big Bigfoot fans. You know, this is a discussion for another day. We've seen every documentary, every movie. It's funny how the advancements in technology and CGI come along. But what I want to talk about this morning, like I was painting a picture with Hobby Lobby, as the message title says, signs of the days are approaching. I want to unveil some things that we can see happening in the world today that the Lord's return is coming a lot closer than it was years ago. Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to find our text. I want to read a few verses in verse number 1, and then I want to pray. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, we read, The Pharisees, also with the Sadducees, came and tempting desired him that he would show a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonah." And he left them, departed. God, again, I thank you for this morning, the opportunity we have to freely speak openly about your word and things that have already been laid out and things that are going to come. God, I pray that you would just use me just as a vessel for the Holy Spirit to illuminate, to encourage, to reach, to just reveal the days we're living in and what it means for the Christian church in our influence in this community. So God, I can't do anything without you. And so I'm praying, Lord, you just use me as a mouthpiece to reach your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
See, here in this passage in Matthew chapter 16, the Pharisees had already rejected Jesus as the Messiah. The unpardonable sin had happened in Matthew chapter 12, Mark chapter 3, and elsewhere. Basically, they rejected Jesus being the Messiah of Israel based upon being demon-possessed. That essentially is what the unpardonable sin is. It's not suicide. It's not murder or any of the other, other things. It's the national rejection of Jesus Christ as the Messiah of Israel. They had already rejected that. But yet the Jewish people, though they keep seeing sign after sign that he healed a man that was born blind, that he freed a man possessed with a demon without even calling out his name and finding out the name of the demon, all these different signs that only the Messiah could do, time and time again he did those and they kept rejecting him. So here Jesus tells them right off the bat, he says, you're not getting another sign except the sign of Jonah. And what he's referring to is the fact that the only other sign the Jewish people will receive of the Messiahship of Jesus Christ is the sign of resurrection. We see it during his earthly ministry in the fact that Lazarus was resurrected. We see in the fact of his own resurrection. But the final resurrection that's going to take place for the Jewish people to be able to turn and acknowledge him as Messiah is going to be the resurrection of the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. And so... That's what Jesus is talking about here. They could see the signs of the current events. They could see the signs of the weather. And they know what's coming. But the signs right in front of them, the spiritual signs, that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem, that Jesus Christ was going to ride on a donkey, and all these other things, they completely ignored them or missed them. If anyone would have known about the signs leading up to Jesus' first coming, it would have been the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people that knew the Torah. And yet, whether it was ignorance, or whether it was willful ignorance, whether it was the fact that they were too focused on the world, whether it was the spiritual blindness that happened in part of Israel, they rejected him. You see, it's interesting because put yourself back into first century in Israel. If you lived during that day, would you ever have thought you would be the generation that saw Jesus Christ's birth in Jesus Christ's earthly ministry? I mean, these are things that the prophets in the Torah, the Old Testament, have spoken about for hundreds of years. Would you ever have thought, maybe I'm the generation that can see his first coming? That may have just slipped their mind saying, oh, it can't be us. It's got to be another generation, a future generation down the road. Regardless, the same way as Jesus Christ's first coming had to occur during a generation, Jesus Christ's second coming and prior to that, his rapture has to occur during a particular generation's living. I just want to put this out there, and I'm going to build upon this. Could it be that everybody in this room, from the older generation to the kids, the younger generation, that in possibly one of our lifetimes, from the oldest to the youngest, maybe one in that demographic, that maybe we'd see the rapture? Has that ever crossed our mind? Or would we possibly be like the first century Jews to be like, I know it's coming, but it may not be in our generation. It could happen during Lincoln's generation, Lincoln's days when he's an old. I, I can't see Lincoln as a grown-up, but I know he's going to be a grown-up, but it could happen that young, or it can happen before I'm gone. We don't know. And so what I want to talk about today are signs that are leading up to what God says has to happen 
before he comes. But before all that, something interesting in verse number four. The last statement that Matthew records, after Jesus Christ tells the Pharisees, he says, you're not getting another sign. It says Jesus left them. Jesus didn't stand there arguing. He didn't stand there debating with them. He didn't stand there and say, look at X, Y, Z, you know, A, B, C, 1, 2, 3, stuff like that. He spoke his truth in love, and he left. You see, I did that message a few, was it, like a month or so ago called TikTok, where we looked at Revelation chapter 9 and 10, and we looked at things that will transpire during the tribulation period. Now, we don't believe that we're going to be here because we're a pre-tribulation church that believes that the church is going to be raptured out before those days occur, praise God. But that doesn't mean we should sit idly by because, like I said in that message, if the rapture happens today, then those events in Revelation 9 and 10 could be happening five, ten years down the road. So who do you know and I know that may be here five, ten years down the road? But the interesting thing about that message, and I tried to preach it out of love and grace, but with truth, is messages like that get a lot of criticism. They get a lot of arguments. One of the comments I received on a YouTube video regarding that message was the fact on, oh, you Christians, you don't even have the most exciting end time stories. And so rather than trying to get into a debate as far as, you know, what is biblical truth, you know, how do we know that the Bible is true, stuff like that, Jesus just left them and departed. It's not on you and I to convince anybody. It's on you and I to just tell people with love, with grace, but with truth. You see, what I'm about to talk about today, again, is not conspiracy, though many might consider that. But with what I'm going to talk about this morning, it's sad that many Christians want to keep their head buried in the sand. I did have to look at ostriches. How many people believe that ostriches bury their head in the sand because they're afraid and they're trying to hide? How many people have heard that? That's actually, according to all my research, false. That's actually a myth. What is said is ostriches bury their hands, heads in the sand because that's where the eggs are laid, and they're moving them around, stuff like that. They're trying to check on them. But in way of metaphor and figurative speech, too many times in the Western church, we want to bury our heads in the sand and ignore what's going on around us. It's like we don't even care about what the future holds because we're just focused on what's happening today. And that's disheartening to me. You see, I personally get no greater joy than when somebody wants to talk theology. You won't find many people within Christendom that care to talk about scripture. You won't find many people that care to talk about, you know, soteriology, homarchiology, angelology, stuff like that. Ah, that just fills me up. I love talking about those things, right? But it's sad to say these, this topic and things like it, aren't even on most Christians' mind because we're so wrapped up in the world today. It's also the fact that the Western church has grown very apathetic and cold to the things of God and more warm and hot to the things of the world. You see, just like Jesus rebuked the Pharisees that they can discern the sign of the times in their day as far as the weather is concerned, we got too many people in the Western church that can discern the signs of the fishing season, discern the signs of the best hunting season, discern the signs of the times of the best football season and team, but we can't tell the signs of anything that has any spiritual value in what God says is going to happen. You see, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus makes an interesting statement here in the Olivet Discourse. 
In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says this. He says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet and stand in the holy place, then it says in verse 16, then let him uh, flee into the mountains in verse number 16. What Jesus is saying is for those people, that Jewish generation during the tribulation period, when they see a particular sign, they are supposed to flee Jerusalem. If they don't flee Jerusalem, they're going to get killed. That's really what he that endures to the end shall be saved. It's talking about the tribulation period and the Jewish remnant and the sparing of their physical life has nothing to do with eternal life or spiritual salvation. He's talking to the Jewish people at that time. And so when they see the abomination of desolation be set up, they're supposed to get out of Dodge and go fleeing to the mountains of Basra. Old Testament prophecies speak of that. In Revelation chapter 13, when we get over there, we'll read in Revelation chapter 13, Give me a moment to navigate over there. In verses 16 and 17. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. You see, we're told that John, written about 2,000 years earlier, is saying that there's going to be a period in history where there's going to rise up an individual that we would call the Antichrist, and he's going to have this one world domination of the globe, and he's going to make sure that not just some, not just many, but he's going to make sure that nobody can buy or sell unless they have a particular mark otherwise known as the mark of the beast. And I'm not going to get into what the mark of the beast is here. However, what's interesting about Revelation 13 is the fact that if you have one individual that is going to make sure that unless you have a particular mark, you cannot buy and you cannot sell, then that means this one individual has a global enterprise. This individual has a global monopoly on everything here on this earth. It doesn't only say buy and sell food to eat. It just says to buy and sell. What that tells me is 2,000 years earlier, John wrote about what's going to be known as the one world government. Or maybe you have heard, and I don't like the term because it brings conspiracy theorists out like QAnon and others, but the New World Order or the Illuminati, right? And these are terms that a lot of conspiracy theorists use. And when we hear terms like that, we're like, oh, no, that's conspiracy. You know, we're not. But in Revelation, it infers that there is going to be a one-world government. There is going to be a one-world economy. There is going to be a one-world currency. Now, don't mistake me. I do believe that globally, we've always had a form of global economy. Because that's how our GDP increases, because of our imports and our exports. Even during John's days, they had the imports and the trading ports. And so we've always had a sense of buying goods from other people. Lydia from Thyatira had this purple that wasn't common in that day. And so there's always been this trading, this goods. But we're going to see it on a grander scale, monopolized by one individual. What I want to talk about is that that day is getting closer. I want to introduce you to a man by the name of Klaus Schwab. How many people have heard of Klaus Schwab? 
Klaus Schwab is the founder and the director of the World Economic Forum, or what I'm going to refer to as the WEF for short. Many of us are familiar with the CDC, we're familiar with the FDA, we're familiar with the MIA and all these other acronyms, or the WHO, which for whatever reason, we pronounce WHO as WHO, so maybe we should pronounce WEF as WEF, maybe the FDA is FIDA, I don't know, but why does WHO get it? It's like the same thing with chicken wing. We have chicken wing, we have chicken leg, why don't we have lamb leg? Why is it leg of lamb? Why is lamb leg not a thing? Why do they try to make lamb all fancy? You know, leg of lamb. But besides, oh sorry, that was a Brian Regan bit, all my Brian Regan fans, you know that. But Klaus Schwab, he founded the WEF, the World Economic Forum, back in 1971. So it's been in existence for quite a while. It says their purpose is that the forum engages the foremost political, business, cultural, and other leaders of society to shape global, regional, and industry standards. This next one, I had to go do some digging. On page six of the WEF Institutional Brochure, when it talks about their DNA, like how we have our church DNA, they say their mission is to improve the state of the world. Their vision is to leverage their trusted status as the global platform for the shaping of the future of economic, social, and industry standards. Their motto is entrepreneurship in the global public interest. They want to have what they know call a trusted status. I'm not pulling anything from any conspiracy websites. I'm pulling this from straight WEF websites that are very open about what is going on. You see, every year they have a meeting. Typically, it's in Davos, Switzerland. So if you ever heard of the Davos Summit, it's just referring to Davos being the location of this meeting. But every year they have a summit. But it's interesting because when you look at the summit, you'll see a group of people that are there. You'll see some keynote speakers. Who's invited to go to these summits? Well, it's interesting because I pulled some information on that. In order to attend the World Economic Forum, you have first to be offered a membership. The membership costs every year sixty-two to $620,000 just to be a member. And oh, by the way, if you want to go to the summit, you have to be invited. You have to have a membership annually. And you have to pay, what, $29,000 ticket to go to the annual membership. I'm sorry, you just got too much money on your hands if you're, if you're $620,000 every year. These are the people with the trusted status. These are global CEOs, politicians, celebrities. You know, those trusted status. If you actually go to the WEF website, you'll read that in response to the COVID pandemic from their website, they say, there is an urgent need for global stakeholders to cooperate in simultaneously managing the direct consequences of the COVID-19 crisis. Now, I, I, I don't preach political messages. You know me. I have my political views, but I don't preach political messages. But it's very interesting when you're looking at COVID. They, they wasted no time in the beginning months of COVID. We find this out after the fact. Then in the beginning months of the COVID pandemic, they introduced an idea known as what you're probably familiar with as the Great Reset. In an article titled, Now is the Time of the Great Reset, they say this. COVID-19 lockdowns may gradually be easing, 
But anxiety about the world's social and economic prospects is only intensifying. There is good reason to worry. A sharp economic downturn had already begun, and we could be facing the worst depression since the 30s. But while this outcome is likely, it is not unavoidable. To achieve a better outcome, the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies, from the education to social contracts and working conditions. Every country, from the United States to China, must participate, and every industry, from oil and gas to tech, must be transformed. In other words, we need a great reset of capitalism. In doing, they say this, the Great Reset Initiative has a set of dimensions which builds a new social contract that honors the dignity of every human being. They'll go on and say, left unaddressed, these crises, together with the COVID-19, will deepen and leave the world less sustainable, less equal, and more fragile. Incremental measures and ad hoc fixes will not suffice to prevent this scenario. We, need, we must build entirely new foundations for our economic and social systems. Going on. When discussing the implications of the COVID pandemic, they state, and reveal how, they state how it revealed our interconnectivity, our interdependence globally. They say, in fact, one silver lining of the pandemic is that it has shown how quickly we can make radical changes to our lifestyle. Almost instantly, the crisis forced businesses and individuals to abandon practices long claimed to be essential from frequent air travel to working in an office. Likewise, populations have overwhelmingly showed a willingness to make sacrifices for the sake of health care and other essential workers in vulnerable populations such as the elderly. And many companies have stepped up to support their workers, customers, and local communities in a shift toward the kind of stakeholder capitalism to which they had previously paid lip service. Clearly, the will to build a better society does exist. We must use it to secure the great reset we so badly need. All this stuff's coming out during the COVID pandemic. They had a summit last year in Dubai. I believe it was in March of 2022 in Dubai over in UAE. In that summit, they said three different things. Number one, growth is on an upward trajectory and could witness a more robust recovery in 2023 through global cooperation and following China's adjusted COVID-19 response measures. To me, that's interesting because when you look at where COVID came from, when you look at whose measures the globe is saying we need to follow to ease up COVID pandemic. I'm just saying it's kind of interesting. They also go on to say that attendees at the forum said cooperation would be for global growth. The WEF president, Borg Brendy, expressed confidence that we can shape a more resilient, sustainable, and equitable future, but the only way to do it is together, globally. Thirdly, they say, without multilateral cooperation, you cannot really deal with the challenges that are cross-national. I believe that the one positive lesson we can learn from COVID is that we are all interconnected. Now, I wouldn't disagree as far as the fact of nations being connected with one another. I would not disagree with that because, again, when you look at our GDP, you look at the monies nations receive, a lot of it has to do with the export business. And so I'm not going to argue with that. But when you look at all this as a totality, it's quite interesting. You see, as I read these things, I read that the main purpose and function of the WEF is to be a sole influencer as to how the globe is organized and ran. And again, I'm looking at these things last week. 
God just put me on a mission to just study out what's going on with the WEF. I heard it once or twice loosely recently in the last month or so. But the more I see this, the more I'm like Paul in Acts chapter 9 where the scales are falling off of my eyes. If you don't believe me, listen to what Klaus Schwab has to say about last year's summit in Dubai and how the world, the globe, needs to work together for a common future through collaborative efforts. So if we could play this video. Hopefully. In times of crisis, the role of governments is more important and more relevant than ever. What is also needed is a summit like this one to go beyond crisis management and to look into constructive ways we can build our common future. We have to uphold our responsibility which we have towards the next generation and which we can only fulfill through collaboration on a national and on a global level. I don't know, something about him just give me the heebie-jeebies, but... Don't miss, I, I'm not saying Klaus is the Antichrist. What I'm trying to point out is the fact that there are things happening in levels higher than you and I from a political standpoint that is starting this idea of a global government, of a one world government. We have to dig our heads out of the sand and start seeing what's happening. You see, it's so interesting how the COVID pandemic had apparently made all these countries see a need for a great reset, to reset our global economy to how these trusted status people believe it should be done. One of the other things that we look at as far as this global connectivity is what's known as a, uh, the fourth industrial revolution. How many people have heard of the fourth industrial revolution? Okay, so the first industrial revolution, most of us are familiar with in school, with the invention of steam engines and using steam engines to, uh, in, in production facilities, right, and to produce things. We don't really hear much about the second and third, but uh, the fourth industrial revolution is revolutionizing how we use digital technology and the internet to connect us to have manufacturing, production services, and oh, by the way, biologically. There's talks about transhumanism. And I'm not talking about transgender. I'm talking about transhumanism and having digital technology and implants to adjust our behaviors in our anatomy, if you will. Ever hear of the metaverse? It's funny, nobody knows what the metaverse is. But the more I try to figure it out from like my second grade education, I know people like Oscar and Emery, they could talk circles about the metaverse around me. But what I find out is it's much more than virtual reality. It's much more than augmented reality. It's much more than like with the Nintendo Wii where if anybody plays the Wii and you create your little me character and you can go on like the little Wii little, you know, courtyard and see other Wiis and like talk to people. It's much more than that. It's interesting because when they're pushing for digital connectivity, you got to think, well, there are some countries out there that don't have the internet, right? They're not connected digitally. 
how can some of these countries that, I'm not going to name a name because I'm probably wrong and which ones don't have internet, but there are countries out there that don't have internet. How can they be connected digitally to all this? Enter the Edison Alliance. The Edison Alliance's main purpose is to find a way to connect the world globally digitally while bringing online impoverished nations that don't have internet access. They say our vision is for every person to affordably participate in the digital economy. Our mission is to mobilize a global movement and cross-sectoral action for social and economic outcomes through connectivity, enhancing the case for rapid digital uh, development. They have three areas that they focus on for this global connectivity and global cohesion. Health, education, and finances. How was Edison Alliance started? The Edison Alliance was built based upon the World Economic Forum. The WEF started the Edison Alliance as the first of its kind to accelerate unprecedented collaboration between the ICT community and other critical sectors of the global economy. The WEF started the Edison Alliance to figure out a way to connect everybody globally, even those that may not have internet connectivity. In July of 2021, there were 81 countries, 81 countries working on some sort of digital currency for their nation. Just over a year later, that number has risen to almost 100. This month, there are 114 countries working on a pilot program for digital currency. That is almost two-thirds of the entire world's population working on digital currency. I've spoken to some of our missionaries, and they have told me they see it in their countries too. So much that Nigeria is limiting anybody's cash withdrawal from the ATM to a $45 max because they are pushing hard for them to receive this digital currency as a nation. Matter of fact, House Bill 7231, it was just pushed last year, is in line with the West's agenda where it says the bill directs the Secretary of Treasury to develop and pilot digital do dollar technologies that replicate the privacy-respecting features of physical cash in order to promote greater financial inclusion, maximize consumer protection and data privacy, and advance U.S. efforts to develop and regulate digital assets. The push for digital currency is very strong. And it's very wide, globally, if you'd say. I'm all for leveraging the digital aspect of society, networking, connections. I thank God for people like Emery and Oscar, because I have no idea what's going on inside of a computer. I'm always having gremlins. I thought that was a movie when I found out that's actually a term that computer networkers use. When they have no idea what's going on, they just call it a gremlin, right? There's a gremlin in there. But the push is very strong. I want you to see something that they published in January of 2020. They say, today the World Economic Forum announces the first global consortium focused on designing a framework for the governance of digital currencies includes stablecoins. The global consortium for digital currency governments will aim to increase access to the financial system through innovative policy solutions that are inclusive and interoperable. January of 2020, from the World Economic Forum, and only recently are we hearing that there's pushes for digital currency. 114 countries are being influenced by these trusted status people from years ago to develop digital dollars to include America with e-cash. 
I'm not saying digital dollars are necessarily a bad thing. I'm going to get there. Oh, and remember that Klaus guy I talked about earlier? The founder, he wrote a few books. During the pandemic, he wrote The Great Reset, which reveals how COVID-19 disrupted our social and economic systems and what changes will, need, uh, will be needed to create a more inclusive and sustainable world going forward. July of 20. January, January of 21, he published what's known as Stakeholder Capitalism, a global economy that works for the progress people and the planet. And then in December of 2021, he authored a book called The Great Narrative, which recognizes that the problems for which we collectively must find solutions are both major and manifold. Solutions do exist, are within our grasp. Three books in about a year's time that were pushed at the beginning of the COVID pandemic that we're seeing implications of now through digital dollars and other means as well. I'm not saying Klaus Schwab is the Antichrist. I'm not saying the 10 rulers of the beast horns are gonna come out of the WEF. What I'm saying is we would be ignorant if we do believe this is a special revelation of God and these are infallible, inspired words of God, we would be ignorant to think that what's happening is not what John and Daniel and others have written about thousands of years ago. Oh. Again, do you think the generation that saw Jesus Christ's birth ever thought they'd be the ones to see Jesus Christ living on earth? Most of them probably not. Do you think you and I may be the generation or those underneath us that sees this establishment? If you don't think so, why not? Because God's word says it's going to happen. There's nothing you and I can do to stop it. That's part of God's sovereign plan to have this stood up. So if we believe it's going to happen and we see things from the horse's mouth, could we be that generation that sees these things take shape? Recall, Revelation 13, 16, and 17, the buy-in and selling reveals a one-world economy governed by a single entity. The WEF has been advancing global agendas for decades. They're behind the digital currency push, as well as influencing countries and nations' strategies economically, financially, and educationally. Their focus areas is on health, finance, and uh, education as well. Revelation 13 may not be too far from its uh, building up from our generation. I haven't even talked about the digital ID. I haven't talked about the social credit score that other countries have. I haven't talked about the apostasy of the church. I haven't talked about the New Age movement influence that's going to happen before the rapture. I haven't even covered most of what God says is going to happen before the Antichrist is revealed. I just really talk about one or two things, one world government and one world currency. Why could these things not occur during our lifetime? You see, when we study the Bible for what events will transpire before the Antichrist is revealed, it's blatantly obvious. The days are approaching. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be 50 years from now. But there are things being set up that we can't deny are quite interesting according to the biblical narrative. Back to the Olivet Discourse. 
if Matthew 24, 15, 16, Jesus told the Jewish generation that when you see the abomination of desolation be set up, flee to the mountains, then if we see these days approaching, what do we as Christians need to do? Because if God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen, right? Well, first I want to bring up Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, 6 through 7. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know what's funny? We get worried and anxious about things that never happen. We get worried and anxious about things we don't even know. And we get worried and anxious about things that we're told are going to happen. This is supposed to happen. Why is much of the church living in fear and worry and anxiety? I was just talking to somebody the other day talking about these things and, oh, things are shaping up. And oftentimes what I hear is, oh, that's scary. Oh, yeah, that's not scary to me. That's exciting. Why? Because I'm seeing Bible prophecy slowly being fulfilled. I'm able to tell my kids, hey, turn to Revelation chapter 13. Turn to Daniel chapter 9. Turn to Daniel chapter 11. See what's happening. Tell me if this isn't part of God's plan. We're able to see things happen that Scripture records. Why are we worried about it? You see, there's no way John, let alone Daniel, could know about these things from a human perspective and write about what's going to happen. That gives me more assurance in the fact that this is truly the inspired, infallible, plenary verbal inspiration word of God because that cannot be made up by man. 2,000 years ago, don't be anxious and worried. <laughs> be excited. I preached a message a few years back talking about opportunity and injustice. We may have those days. Secondly, we need to realize in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises some man count slackness, but his long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We need to look at the delay of Jesus Christ coming and the rapture and the fact that there is not apathy on the side of God, but that there is a long-suffering patience that God doesn't want just the elect saved. God wants the whole world saved. We know that the whole world doesn't get saved, but God desires salvation for all. Not just an elect that he predestined over here, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes. Jesus Christ said, when I am lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. The fact that the rapture has not come yet means you and I as a Christian still have a purpose. We have a purpose to tell truth and love and grace. We have a purpose to witness and tell people, just like the TikTok message. If those things are going to happen in Revelation 9 and 10, we do well to tell the loved ones and friends that we know how to escape. And then the fact that the only way to heaven is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have that time. You see, thirdly, is the fact in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 14, we are to live in light of his return. Peter writes, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace and without spot and blameless. Now, Peter's not saying that we have to be perfect and sinless. Jesus Christ, or Peter is saying that if you know he's coming back, Make sure you got everything cleaned up. You see, think about it. If you got family and friends coming over for dinner or visiting, how many hours do you spend vacuuming, mopping, putting away all your dirty dishes, cleaning up that bathroom you never use, you know, cleaning a, 
that's the only time I scrub toilets, you know, is when family comes. But uh, we do that for family and friends. Why? Because we know they're coming. We don't want them to see the filth that we live in. If we know he's coming back, we need to live in light of that fact. Live in light of the fact that we're ambassadors of Christ to bring his kingdom here on earth to other people and that we should be living a victorious Christian life through the power of the Holy Spirit for him. Fourthly, 2 Peter 3.17, we can't be ignorant of what's happening. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. He's not saying you're going to lose your salvation. He's saying you're going to lose your assurance. You're going to lose your peace. That Paul just talked about Philippians 4 when he was in prison. These days that are happening should give us peace. Why? Because peace and knowing that this word of God is accurate and everything's transpiring. And finally, Hebrews 10, 25, we need to encourage one another even more in these days for the author of Hebrews says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. If there's ever a time for us to rally around as Christians, as a church body, it's when we start seeing these things. Because we go in the world, we get tainted and dirty with the world. And then thankfully we have forgiveness with Jesus Christ, practical forgiveness. But then we need to rally back here, whether Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whatever the case is, and refresh each, each other, re-energize and refocus one another. We need each other. Because that world is getting darker and darker. And the fewer candles that are lit is the darker the world's going to be. So it's only going to be as bright as the candles that are lit. And you and I are the light of the world. So we need to encourage and strengthen one another to have our light so shine before men. Why? So they can see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. You see, through what is occurring through the World Economic Forum and the other global agencies, the question is not if these events are going to happen, if a digital currency or one world currency is going to happen, if a one world government is going to happen. The question isn't if. The question's not even when. The question is, what are you going to do about it as you see these events happening? We need to have peace. We need to tell people. You see, with this, I want to close. Trapeze artists. I love watching trapeze artists, right? Trapeze artists, they got all amounts of skill, upper body strength, you know. Uh, I could never be it because I'm, you know, I'm not like a Scantlin or even a Matt. Matt's not even in here, but some of you could probably be trapeze artists. I can't because I don't have the upper body. But they're fascinating to watch. I didn't know this, but there's different types of trapeze artists. You have static, which these are the people that have just a, a, uh, a solid bar, if you will. It doesn't move, and they do sort of move, movements, sort of like the pommel horse on the Olympics. You have what's known as the uh, swinging trapeze, which is typically an individual doing movements and acrobats on themselves. But then they have what's called the flying trapeze. This is one where it's a two-person team, and the person flies across the air, and the other person grabs them. I can never do it, not only because I don't have the upper body strength, but because I'm scared of heights. But you see, the most dangerous part about the flying trapeze artist, the most important, I guess you could say, person, is the person that's swinging on their legs, otherwise known as the catcher, they call them the catcher. Because their sole job is to time their swing right so that when the other person is flying through the air, they catch their arms takes tremendous amounts of strength and courage on both sides for the success or failure 
of that stunt. And a lot of it has to do with the catcher's ability to safely catch the acrobat. If the acrobat doesn't trust the catcher, they're probably going to fall. If the catcher isn't paying attention or doesn't have the strength, they're going to drop the acrobat. So there's got to be trust on both sides. There's got to be strength, at least on the side of the catcher. It doesn't matter about the flyer. The catcher's got to grab them right away. There has to be a surrender of the person flying to be caught by the catcher. They have to trust the catcher. They have to surrender knowing they're going to be caught by the catcher. There has to be the surrender of the acrobat's will, of their fear, and of their ego. As we see these days approaching with a one-world government, digital currency, digital IDs, privacy intrusions, yada, 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 fall away of the church, the apostasy, new age movement inside the church, these days are supposed to come. We must surrender our fears to the one who can grant peace that passes all understanding. We must surrender our will and worldly desire for a spiritual will and focus in these days that are approaching. We must surrender our ignorance for understanding. We must surrender for God and to God alone and not the man. I don't know which area you need to surrender to today. Whether it's the area of the fear and the anxiety so that you can have the peace and focus in the world. I don't know if it's letting go and surrendering the focus of the worldly world and focus on the spiritual world. I just pray that you surrender what needs to be let go. Trust in the catcher in the living God who is strong enough and trustworthy enough that we can just let go and surrender during these days. The days of the Lord's return are truly approaching sooner rather than later. We need to be aware of this and take time in knowing what as a Christian we need to do before that happens.